Welcome in to the Shop Management Show presented by Auto Week. I'm your host, Will. This podcast will explore the experiences, challenges, and lessons learned of auto repair shop owners. We'll cover every topic imaginable from EVs to ADOS, right to repair, the technician shortage, and so much more. AutoLeap is an all-in-one cloud-based shop management software that allows shop owners to better run their business, increase efficiency, and grow revenue. You can find a link to schedule a free demo with AutoLeap in the show notes of this episode. Please like, share, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Murray Voth, president of RPM Training. Murray and I will discuss an important topic for shop owners to prepare for, marketing strategies. Murray, how are you? I'm doing really well, William. Nice to chat with you. Yeah, I really appreciate you joining me today. Before we dive into effective marketing approaches, let's discuss your background and position in the space. How did you become involved in auto repair and what led you to your current role at RPM Training? We don't have enough time, William. <laughs> very, very quickly, uh, I was uh, working towards my commercial pilot's license when I was young. Uh, back in the early 80s, the economy was very bad. Uh, so I was taking whatever job I could do to pay the bills and, and bring the money home and stuff like that. Um, and so I got involved in a research project that I ran um, and taught myself how to do research and did a research project. And several of the board members, uh, business people who ran this research, it was a community research initiative, um, saw that skill and said, hey, do you want to come and work for us and research uh, service station development? Because we want to we want to buy more land and we want to build more service stations. I said, sure, research is research, uh, but they couldn't pay me full time to do that. So I worked half time as a gas bar attendant and a car wash attendant. That's the beginning. <laughs> um, needless to say, they bought we they bought some uh, we bought a few couldn't flip them or resell them like the plan was so i began to run one for them and be i bought in as a partner and uh, operated service stations for almost 25 years um different things in life i do a lot of reading i do a lot of studying i take a lot of courses uh i think i might have some natural skills and leadership eventually i began doing dealer development for a couple of major oil companies and um we jumped into business aftermarket coaching after that for the last, I don't know, I think 17, 18 years. So that's the the real short version of that uh, in terms of being in the automotive sector. So yeah, washing cars and selling hydrocarbons was the beginning. Sounds like quite the journey. That's awesome. Let's get into the topic of effective marketing strategies for uh, auto repair shops and specifically shop owners who are running their businesses. Can you tell us about your experience as a shop coach helping owners build their businesses through word of mouth marketing and referrals? If I could, I'm going to, I'm going to lay some groundwork uh, to where I come from with this concept. I remind everybody that I work with that marketing as that modern term is a new term. It only was invented after World War II. I don't know if a lot of people know this. Um, what it was used for was when factories after World War II, they stopped making you know boats and ships and planes, began to make washers and dryers and dishwashers and the rest of it. And they began to have two large production runs that weren't always selling. So they created marketing departments to sell things, excess things. Right. That was the beginning. But I also remind everybody listening and my clients that the word market or the marketplace has been around as long as humans have been around buying and selling and trading with each other. And uh, I will sometimes do a role play in a group um, where I will set up uh, four vegetable stands in the square in 1400, you know, in, in 1300 or 1400 century England. You know, Saturday is market day, right? So in one corner, 
is a tomato vegetable stand. Another corner is another one. These are four competitors in this little village, right? Selling stuff. And I challenge people, why would you buy from, and I, you know, I'll use a name. Why would you buy from William in that corner? Well, I've been buying tomatoes from his family for seven generations. We have a relationship. And then I, I'll ask, you know, because I know Amber from your company, I'd say, hey, why would you buy from Amber? Well, Amber, you know, cleans all her vegetables and has these beautiful displays and it's just so appealing and it's really eye-catching. So I buy my tomatoes there. And then we talk about, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, you know, Stuart. Uh, what, what, why would you buy from him? Well, he's the cheapest guy in the whole marketplace. And I buy him because his prices are the lowest, right? And then the other, the other person, maybe it's Susan. Uh, why would you buy from Susan? Well, Susan grew, grows heirloom tomatoes. And that's the only tomatoes that I use in my special tomato sauce. And she's the only one that sells those, right? So you think of the idea of human beings making choices of purchases, relationship, quality, visual appeal, relationships, or specific needs is why people buy things. So we have to remember that marketing, advertising, however it's evolved and come, and digital is just playing on the same human psyche. So we have to, let's not overthink this, everybody, right? We, I think a lot of shop owners feel like, especially when things are quiet, this is, you know, this is when they get desperate. What kind of marketing should I do when I'm quiet? I just saw a post on a, on a Facebook group like this. And the best advice somebody gave him was, you should be marketing all the time, <laughs> right? Um, anyways, I, I just wanted to set the stage for that. One more piece, William, of setting the stage. Early years of social media, early years of, you know, shop owners, like, should I participate? Should I, should I join this whole thing? And um, I said, well, let's talk about it. In 1945, 1950, if you moved to a new town in North America and you wanted to find out who the best automotive shop mechanic, who the best doctor, baker, butcher were, where would you go? You would probably go to a hair salon. You might go to a barber. You might go to the church. You might go to a, a cafe. And, um, you know, you would talk to four or five or maybe a dozen people about the best things in your town, right? I said, Facebook and Instagram is the barbershop on steroids. I said, in a small town like that, it's very slow. Referrals are very slow process. I said, on Facebook, it's a lot faster. I said, but here's, a, here's the most important thing to remember. When you misbehave in the 50s in a small town, it took a long time for the whole time to found out, town to find out. Now, if you misbehave and Facebook gets a hold of it, the whole world knows that you've misbehaved, <laughs> right? So the whole idea is, is just working with the tools that are there in a way that accentuates and enhances the, the normal human experience. Now, are there people who use this stuff to manipulate? Are there people who use, you know, some of us think there's all these scientific methods to make us buy things we don't want to buy. Sure. There are individuals and companies that are doing some of those games out there, but for the most part, people figure stuff out. It might, they might get ripped off once, but people then become sensitive and they become more cautious, right? So that's why we have to be very transparent um, in how we present ourselves. As we, as you introduced, um, one of the things that I measure with my clients, we, we measure everybody's numbers through an app that we've created. And <clears throat> one of the numbers we measure is number of new customers per month. Um, we also track things like active and a bunch of other numbers like that, but the number of new, new clients per month to the shop. Because I wanna make sure that my clients are showing growth, right? Um, for those listening, 
we lose about 10% of our database due to things outside of our control, right? So people pass away, people move for a job transfer, uh, people stop driving because as they get older, they might not need a car anymore. And so these are things we didn't make anybody mad. We didn't make anybody upset. We weren't priced too high. We just have a natural attrition rate. So we need to have, you know, 11 to 12% at least more people to replace the database and to grow grow the database, right? So as we're measuring this, I, I have a couple of superstars, right, that, that have fairly high numbers. And I take a look at that and, and I ask them, what's the source of your new clients? Whenever anybody succeeds, and here's something, a little side note, William, for everybody listening as well, is as business coaches, we don't just look at what did somebody do wrong? What did you screw up? That, you know, okay, we fix the stuff. We all make mistakes in business. But I always ask anybody when they succeed, what did you do or who, you know, what's the source? Because that's what we want to pass on to other people is the positive stuff. What did people figure out? Well, all of my superstar shop owners all say 90% of it is referrals from somebody else. In a, di in a digital era of Facebook, Instagram, and Google, it is still a word of mouth referral process that's bringing people in the door in the case of one shop 90 in one month like what's going on there right so one of the things that i want to i want to give again some more background to everybody this was study done by an organization in canada and and i would say it was broad enough that we could apply it to the united states aia is called the automotive industries association of canada very large organization um you know, sponsored by a lot of very large uh, wholesalers and warehouses and parts companies and stuff, both Canadian and American. And um, they found uh, some interesting things about marketing and, and how, how new customers come to shops. And it's very interesting, a significant number of people, we're talking in the 40-ish percent range, go to Google, go to Facebook, go to Instagram to look up a shop. But then those same people then turn to their friends, neighbors, and relatives for confirmation. Another great big chunk, close to 40-ish, there's a 40 and a 40, and then there's a 20 of, of you know random mix. They actually go to their friends and neighbors and relatives first, and then go to Google and Facebook and Instagram for confirmation or for more detail. So at the end of the day, guess what? We're still talking to each other we're still talking to our friends and our neighbors when we're looking for whatever. It could be an automotive shop, could be a hairdresser, could be in our, in our area, contractors. There's a lot of houses being built and stuff like that, right? So then that is so important to understand the referrals. So then this is where I really like to do a deep dive in, William, is into the referral process. So I get asked on a very regular basis by either my clients or other industry people, hey, Murray, what's a great referral program? <laughs> and then I just, I just get a headache. <laughs> because back in my day, I got suckered into a bunch of referral programs. Um, and I watch people still get suckered into these referral programs. Let me describe one of them, right? A company offers to print come to you for a fee and print a whole bunch of cards uh, that are joined together. And then what you do as a service advisor or whoever you are dealing with your clients, you then have a, a regular client and you give them these two cards. 
And then when they are supposed to give one of those cards to one of their friends or their neighbors, right? And then as soon as that neighbor submits that card when they come back, then the regular customer gets a deal or a discount or a whatever, right? Sounds complicated, doesn't it? <laughs> and my thoughts are, I have a full-time job. I was a, I'm a customer. I already have a job. I'm not going to go become your marketing department and think about handing out these cards, right? So, William, I'm going to ask you a question. I know that you're the interviewer, but I would ask you a question. Do you have an example of whatever you've happened in your life in the last few months where you experienced really good customer service? Like anything, contractor, restaurant, dentist, anything come to mind? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I had a, a dentist appointment where it was a really strong customer service experience. So here's the role play that I do with, with people in my classes when we talk about this topic. So William, would you be happy to refer people to this dentist? Absolutely. Right. Now, would you refer people to the dentist because you want this dentist to be busy and get wealthy? Is that the, is that your motivation? So, right. You're laughing because a lot of shop owners, especially when the things are quiet and they're desperate, they have this subconscious feeling that the referral programs are about customers wanting their success. That you have the odd customer that wants your success. We, we've all experienced that where somebody has said, you know, it's my job to tell my neighbors about you because I want you to succeed. That, that does happen. But that is not what referrals are all about. All right. Now, William, would you agree with me that you would refer that dentist to me or your friends and neighbors because you want us to have a good experience at a dentist? Would that be your motivation? Absolutely. So the person that you care about is not the dentist per se. The person you actually care about is us, right? Your, your acquaintances, friends and neighbors. Now, here's, a, here's something that I intuited and then I found actually found research to back it up. The most, so that's the, that's the conscious motivation. The unconscious motivation, you're actually doing this for yourself. All right. Now let me explain how that would work. So let's say, for example, you refer this dentist to me. I go to this dentist and I, I have a great experience, right? And then a couple of weeks later, we're at a neighborhood barbecue or we're at the little league game, you know, and, and a lot of people that we know. And I shout out across to you, hey, William, thanks for that referral to the dentist. I really appreciate that. Now, how do you look in front of your friends and neighbors? You're the hero, right? You're the hero. You're the hero. So why do people refer other people? Because you give us a way to raise our reputation with the people we care about. If that makes sense, right? So then at the end of the day, I always tell people the most important marketing is your behavior throughout the transaction, if you want to use that term, with your current clients, right? How was the dropping off the car experience? How was the intake, you know, the, 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 the advising and the, the, the work order write-up process? What was that like? How was the estimating? How much time did you spend with the person listening to them and asking them questions about their car in a way that they feel comfortable answering those questions? How did you update them throughout the day so that they feel in control of their day? Even if things are going wrong and maybe <clears throat> a part broke or the part showed up wrong, these things happen, right? Did we inform the client, give them some choices in terms of you know alternative transportation, things like that, right? What was the payment process like? And so if somebody has a really smooth experience throughout the day, 
are they going to be more likely to refer people? Yeah, because they want they want their reputation to be protected. You know, William, as we get to know each other, maybe in time, you might reach out to me and say, hey, Murray, we have a client in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, um, looking for a shop for their cousin, you know, looking for a shop or looking for software or whatever the case may be. And I'm the same as you or anybody else. I worry about my own reputation. So before I refer that person, I'm going to say to you, William, what kind of a car do they drive? What kind of a client are they? Are they high maintenance? Are they very, are they very frugal? Because I want to make sure that I'm referring this client, your client to a shop that matches their expectations. Right. What what would happen if I would send a guy driving a Chevy to a Euro shop, <laughs> right? I'm going to get yelled at by somebody. I think it's really interesting how you're tapping into a lot of the human nature and the dynamics at play here. And I think it's pretty powerful in terms of some of the numbers you shared as well around word of mouth marketing and how that actually affects shops. You know, you can try to run the, the next innovative digital marketing campaign and, and devote all your time there. But at the end of the day, it's about running a highly effective shop that takes really good care of its customers and building out your reputation that way. Now, having said all of that, I do feel there's a lot of value to the current digital. And of course, it's always in flux, it's always changing. And and we're always looking for experts to help us with this kind of stuff. Um, I'm actually, you know, and I'm sure you are as well, industry industry Facebook groups and discussion with shop owners and stuff like that. And I'm actually quite intrigued by how many people are still using like really old, I consider them old school methods of, of marketing, right? Flyers or whatever. Now, if they're working, great. There's no criticism of that, but um what I what I look for when I when I work with people and somebody new reaches out to me, one of the first places I go to is their website, and there's lots of automotive shops that are running their companies off of Facebook. They don't even have a website. They don't even have a their own presence, right? Um, and it's important. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it's important to have your domain name. Um, and and again, to encourage everybody listening is we're, we can't all be good at everything. I'm not good at everything. I, I have hired out my bookkeeping. Uh, I, have hire, I have a virtual assistant. I hire out my software development. I'm actually pretty good at the marketing piece. I just don't have time. So I've actually hired a marketing company. Um, and I'm going to circle back to, to me in a little bit here. <laughs> not to be, not to be my, but my kids say that I know how to game the, the Facebook algorithm. And it's not complicated, but remind me to circle back to that. So, but the thing is, is shop owners, I think, need to ask for help, find help from good sources, things like your company, I think, provides some really good content. There's, uh, you know, other coaches and people um, out there that do a lot of great stuff like that. But even things like um, they get approached by a company who will, oh, I'll get your domain for you and I'll do the website for you and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, for, it's, it's fine for a few years. And then the owner realizes that the website's not very good, needs to be updated or changed, you know, maybe changes uh, marketing or web companies and goes to get that domain name and it's owned by that first company. They didn't actually own their own domain name. And they're like shocked. Oh, you mean I can't get, no, you can't. You just, you lost that, my friend. So just simple things like owning your own domain name, 
making sure that your Google business profile is in your name, even though somebody else might be using it under, under management privileges, you should be the highest level of administrative settings on that. You should be at the highest level of administrative settings on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and whatever other, other stuff you're using out there, even though you might have delegated this out to a firm or to a key employee. There's nothing like a key employee running your Facebook page. In fact, creating your Facebook page out of their own personal profile and then you firing them and then they now control your Facebook page and that doesn't go very well. We'll be back next week with part two of our conversation with Murray on marketing strategies in the digital age.